I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by ACAST. How are you doing there? It's David. It is the podcast. You know the drill. And my God, economics is getting weirder and weirder as the time goes on. We've got Bitcoin. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk a little bit about maybe housing as well. We're going to actually on Thursday talk about the future of the city because... You know, COVID has done a lot of things, John, but it does make you think about the world. I know you've been watching clouds. Well, that's that's what I resort to when I've nothing else to think about. When you don't have Donald Trump to think about. <laughs> yeah. By the way, John is actually secretly oh, going mad with no Donald Trump. You know? I, but we're not doing impeachment. We're not no, doing it. I just want to we're talk not, about impeachment. Not, no, tell me about the clouds. The clouds. Okay. I, I, I came across this guy called The Daily Cloud on Twitter. And every day he goes out and he photographs a cloud and he does a little squiggle on it and turns it into an animal or a, a dragon or something like that. And it's just, they're just lovely. They're just lovely. Look at what COVID is doing to you, my I friend. I know. <laughs> so you're a week involved looking at clouds. Well, the one thing I was looking forward to this week that didn't happen properly was the snow. And the reason I wanted the snow was just so I could open the window and look at something different. <laughs> and listen, no, I know what you mean. And listen to snow. Yeah. Snow's yeah, the, got a lovely sound. The silence of snow is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. But yeah, see, so you're, you're keeping shape. Yeah. By the way, the pair of us, it's a kind of pathetic sight, but the pair of us are trying to, it's what we call it for the head and the Ned. We're trying to stay sane in the mornings doing this online course. You're doing a lot. With Neil, it's neilbowman.ie. I'm glad. Yeah. I give him a shout out because it's really, it's, I find it really good for my head. Yeah. To get up in the morning, do something active just because you're stuck at home, you know? Yeah. And it, which doesn't involve going for a walk in the rain, in the rain, in the in cold. The rain. In the rain. <laughs> anyway. What was your week like? <laughs> well, I tell you, I've, I'm down a rabbit hole. I'm, I'm investigating the origins of zero, right? Right. So I'm in Norman, right. okay. Sicily. There was a Norman rule in Sicily in the 11th century. And the Normans and the Arabs and the Jews and the Byzantine Greeks were all trading in Sicily. It's quite a crowd. It is quite a crowd. It's a real, it's a proper party. You know, it's, it's a big, full-on rave. But the interesting thing is the Arabs brought zero to Sicily, but the Arabs borrowed zero from the Hindus, from the Indians. Right. right? And they borrowed it. The whole concept. The whole of concept the, of zero, yeah, right? Yeah. And they brought this to Europe via Sicily. 
and there was an Italian monk called Fibonacci. Fibonacci. Who, exactly, who brought it to Florence. So I'm interested in zero. And then when I try, because I'm interested in the, in the origin of mathematics. So Right, okay. So what happens, John, is the Arabs come out of the desert, like blaze out of the desert, Muhammad, right? Mm. About 600, 680. Okay. Yeah. And they do a, a kind of a pincer movement. They go left and right. Yeah. They go right, as you look at the map, into Persia and into India in incredibly quick time, right? Yeah. And then they go left into North Africa. So you imagine that coming out of the yeah. Arabian Gulf, right? And in India, they discover this idea of zero that the West was afraid of. And this is a fascinating idea because yeah. what I'm trying to explain is how zero changed the world. Yeah. And it's in a, in a chapter I'm trying to work well, on. Well, it's a really hard concept to get your head around of nothing. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. So the reason the Indians, the Jains and the Hindus and the Buddhists, but particularly the Hindus and the Jains, mm. they weren't afraid of what they called the void of nothingness, of the emptiness, right? Because zero is infinity on the one hand. Yeah but it's also empty on the other. Yeah. So, and Aristotle and the Greeks were terrified of emptiness because they wanted a world that made sense to them, that man was at the centre, logical, rational man was Greek thought. But if you throw something like the void, emptiness, nothingness in there, mm. you begin to undermine lots and lots of Greek philosophical thought. So the Greeks put a ban on that. And given that the, the Greeks gave thought to the Romans and the Romans gave it to us, through the Holy Roman Empire and all that, zero was something that the West was afraid of. But the Indians, on the other hand, were quite cool with the void because their view was that, you know, man is just a creature. Yeah. Like, you know, like an ant. We're, you know, so we have to deal with it. Yeah. And nothingness is part of looking at the world. So from a Hindu and Jain perspective, that allowed them to believe in reincarnation. Exactly. Yeah. So and it that- allowed them to believe in reincarnation, but it also allowed them to make that lovely connection between philosophy and mathematics, that they began to use this concept of zero. They called it chefre. Okay. Okay, originally. And it's germane for what we're going to talk about. It's all about the history of money and the introduction of zero into monetary affairs and how that allowed double-entry bookkeeping and how that allowed proper accounting because you could talk about negatives and positives and how it actually liberated the merchant to do much more creative accounting. Mm. And of course, that goes hand in hand with the evolution of money, because then you've got credits and you've debits, and then you've got long-term lending and yeah. you've got long-term interest rates and all these sort of things, right? So that so never existed before. Never existed before, right? right before okay. zero. Zero liberated the whole thing. The yeah. Romans had concepts of credit, okay, very significant, because as we said, they had big credit busts and booms, but they hadn't got a sophisticated approach to accountancy. Right. And Fibonacci came up with a book called Liber Abici which is the abacus, the book of numbers. Right. And it was all about the role of zero. And this is actually relevant to what we're going to talk about later on, about Bitcoin and numbers and money. Right. And all okay, that sort stuff. of stuff. But the other thing I was looking at was Jain parables and Hindu parables about the world, how to see the world. Yeah. Did you ever hear about the three blind men and the elephant? No. No, this is... This you is, go ahead and I tell, tell you, me right? that. So, so this is a way of how... To, how it's, this is a story about humans don't see the world clearly. And what we tend to see when we're trying to analyze is our own biases. There are three blind men in a village and they hear this commotion. There's an elephant in the village. Yeah. But they've never seen an elephant. Okay. Mm. So they don't know what an elephant is. But they're asked to go and see this thing. So obviously they, they, they go down to the square, the elephant's in the square. And the three blind men then try to figure out what the elephant is. So one 
goes up to the elephant, starts to touch the elephant and touches the elephant's leg yeah. and says, it's a tree, it's a tree trunk. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one touches the elephant's trunk and thinks, it's a snake, it's a big, long snake, right? The other guy touches, one again, touches the elephant's ear and they think it's some sort of fan, some sort of air thing, right? right? Sail. And then, of course, the other, then they're, they're moving around. Then he touches the elephant's... Uh, Mickey. Not Mickey. <laughs> And he says, it's John. <laughs> he touches the elephant's tusk and <laughs> he says, it's a spear. So the idea is that if you can't see the big picture, you only have a half-assed view of the world, right? So that's the parable of the blind men and the elephant. Yeah. That all of us come with our, without a full picture. Yeah, yeah. And therefore we make silly conclusions about the world simply because... You have to wait until you absorb everything. Yeah. It's also a parallel about willful blindness, mm. that we always, humans, will default to whatever prejudice they have and we will remain blind because we don't want to see. Yeah. And I think the debate on Bitcoin is quite like that. So we get on to Bitcoin, the other thing, but you were, you, you were talking about Amsterdam or something. I was reading the, the FT during the week. As I do. As you do, John. This is, this is, <laughs> this is the new me. This is, yeah, he's gone from on Publix to the FT. <laughs> but the, I was really interested in the story about stock trading has moved from London to Amsterdam. And it was the fact that it's four times more trading in Amsterdam in January than it was in December. Yeah, it's a big move. This is huge this, move. This is Brexit. This is what Brexit actually means, right? So I think the European Union have waltzed the Brits up a kind of cul-de-sac. Yeah, I was going to say, is this kind of bit belligerent? Well, it's not that it's belligerent. There's two types of things in economics: trade. Yeah. There's what they call there's trade and services. So trade in normal goods is like cars, mm. in and out, export, import, right? Then there's trade in services, and services are things like financial services, right? Now what the Brits we're very good at and have always been very good at is financial services, right? When I say always, in the last 100 years, yeah. right, the city of London has been dominant. However, the European Union was very, very urgent in getting a trade deal. But what you might have noticed is they're leaving the services deal up in the air. And the reason they are is the European Union runs a trade deficit with the UK, which means it sells more stuff to the UK than it actually buys. Can I just stop you there? Yeah. Was this a deliberate move? Well, I think... Or an oversight on, on the Brits' part? It's an oversight on the Brits. See, the Brits got all excited about fish. God knows why, but they yeah. did, right? And the European Union said, well, let's waltz them up this fish cul-de-sac, right? Let's talk about trade, 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 <laughs> trade, trade, right? Yeah. And this global Britain, we're going to trade and buccaneering and all that sort of nonsense, right? But now they've got the trade deal. What the Brits really need now is a services deal because Britain is good at services. Mm. So Britain has a massive surplus in services with the EU. They yeah. sell services. Like the Premier League is a great thing they sell. They sell the yeah, Premier yeah, League. That's yeah, a great yeah, example yeah. of a service export, right? But the big thing, of course, is the City of London. Now, the European Union has no interest in giving the Brits a services deal. Why? Because they run this, the Brits have a massive surplus, yeah. which means the Brits export more of it, which means if you stop them exporting, somebody has to do that business. Yeah. And of course, the Dutch, as we know, we've talked about before, have been the kings of finance for the last 500 years. You know, when you, when you think about Holland, you don't think these are the people who invented the stock market. These right. are the people yeah. who invented 
public liability companies. These and are the bond trading, isn't it? Who invented bond trading. Yeah. These are the people who invented money markets. These are the people, if you go back, there is an extraordinary development occurred in Europe. In the 1520s, the Spaniards discovered gold in Mexico, right? Yeah. And then they discovered even more gold and silver in Peru. Remember this concept of El Dorado? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the yeah. Spaniards wanted to go and find a city of gold, right? Mm. They're obsessed by it. So they go into Latin America, they find gold. And of course, the Aztecs were people who used gold for ornaments. Yeah. They didn't use it for money. And they couldn't figure out why the hell are these <laughs> Europeans obsessed with this bloody stuff, right? Yeah. And therefore, you know, in all those, all those cases where the Pizarro took the Inca boss guy, kidnapped him, the, the Incas just gave him loads of gold. He said, well, if yeah. they want this shit, we'll give it to them. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> all this gold flows from Latin America into Europe. And interestingly, the gold flows through Spain. Spain should have been the richest country in the world for centuries as a result of this windfall. But what happened, and it's interesting because we want to talk about liquid digital gold yeah. in a bit, right? What happened was the Spaniards gave up working. All the gold came and they said, fuck this, we're not going to work, Right. Really? So the Spaniards... That was when the siesta took off. Siesta <laughs> takes off. Right? So, so that was really it's true, right? So the Spaniards <laughs> say, all the gold comes in. They build all these fantastic buildings, having a complete laugh. Right? Yeah. You know, King Charles mints the whole thing. They have loads and loads of gold. But of course, what they do is they spend the stuff. And yeah. what they spend it on, so they stop working. It was like, remember Irish people decided, I'm not going to work, I'm going to be a landlord in the boom, right? Yeah, Same yeah. idea. Easy come, easy go. So the money comes into Spain. Spain should have been the richest country. The Spaniards spend it all. And what do they spend it on? Cloth, textiles, silks, spices, and armaments. And who's making all this stuff? All the textiles are made in the lowlands, the Dutch. Right. So the Dutch yeah. end up gaining all the money that the Spaniards took off the Indians. Right. This is actually what happened. And it went through Spain. So Spain ends up in the 16th century having runs on its currency because they'd blown all the money. They just went on the lash. Okay. <laughs> This is like a 16th, 17th century of going yeah. on the complete skies. Yeah. And of course, the parsimonious Calvinist Dutch take all the money. Yeah. And then they think, what are we going to do with this? And this is when they begin to invent all these various different ways of trading. Right, okay. And so the biggest one was they invented the idea of an equity-based company, right? And that equity-based company ended up being the biggest company in the world, even now bigger than Google or Apple in its heyday. And it's the Dutch East India Company, which was the right. biggest company in the world. And what the Dutch said was, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go out and plunder the Borneo and all these places yeah. for spices and cinnamon and all this great stuff, right? Good. Sorry, when you talk about the size compared to the British East India Company. Much bigger. Dutch East India Company. Dutch are brilliant with money. We've sold this before, yeah, right? Yeah. Much, much bigger than the British East India. Oh, right? Okay. So what the that. Dutch said was, okay, what we're going to do is... Now, there's the 30-year war going on, all sorts of mm, crazy mm. stuff. The Spaniards invaded. The Spaniards then had the lowlands for a while. And the Dutch said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to become a trading nation. We're going to use Spanish gold to build our navy. Yeah. Also, the Dutch figured out is you don't have to produce stuff to get rich. Yes. You just have to trade it. Yeah. They go out. They have the biggest navy in the world. In the world, the Dutch have. They go out. They figure they have the Cape of Little Nodes. Yeah, there's Little Nodes in South Africa, right? Then in Zanzibar. 
Then they have uh, in Kerala, in South India, yeah. right? Then in Ceylon, yeah. in Goa, in India. So they've little trade places. Then in Malacca, in Indonesia, what is now Jakarta, yeah. all those places. So they sew up the world in their sort of mm. prominent teeth, skinny way. Look, of doing the Khuchadim Yai Manir, Put Vardama. Because I've lived over there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you used to write for a sports paper, didn't you? I used to write uh, for there was, <laughs> it was uh, the the Bruke Handelsblatt. <laughs> Right, and football results in Flemish. Anyway, but so they were so amazing at this, right? Yeah. They bring all the money back. But what they figured out was that you can create companies with equity. So what they said to all the Dutch merchants is, you guys finance these companies. You yeah. guys get, you are of a stake, yeah. right? Yeah. State-sanctioned finance. So the state says, we will protect you with the military, with the, the Navy. Yeah. You guys put up the capital, right? They created the first ever central bank, 1606, the Vishandel Bank right? Right. In, in, in Holland, right? Miles ahead. So my point is, it's not surprising that the Dutch are the people that will actually benefit most from Brexit because they're also the ones that use the tax system. Yeah. They're also the ones that we will end up being allied to. So in the big post-Brexit world, Ireland has to figure out who's your allies in this, right? Yeah. And there will be an alliance of Ireland... Holland, Denmark, and Sweden. That's going to be the alliance. Why? Because they're Why? all, economically, they all look at the world a bit like us, okay? Yeah. France is a little bit too dirigiste, a little bit too powerful. Germany won't really ally with anybody. It's going to be, remain very much the big yeah. player because if you're the big guy, you don't need al allies. Yeah. So yeah. France, Italy, and Spain are likely to go together. And they are likely to want more federalism, more integration, etc. right? Right. The Dutch ourselves... The Scandies have a much more laissez-faire, much less integrated worldview because we've more to lose. Right. And of course, the thing that we don't want to lose is tax and the Dutch the same. So Macron is pushing for centralised taxation system. Yeah. And the Dutch, the Danes, the Swedes and ourselves and maybe the Finns. Yeah. Are looking for something different, so it's an interesting alliance. It, it is, and actually, I was the other thing that happened this week as well was Mario Draghi became prime minister in Italy. Super Mario, and and what kind of effect is that going to have then? Well, that's very interesting because Mario Draghi is one of uh, the greats of backroom politicking. Uh, yeah. Remember, Mario Draghi was a professor of economics in Florence for many years. So, for any professors of economics listening to, there is a future. <laughs> You may well turn around. But he was the one who, there was a terrible central bank head called Trichet. Yes. French guy, really yeah. stupid man. Yeah. Like really dumb. Was he? Yeah, 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 like really dumb. Didn't, didn't understand the basics of economics. But the way the French... How did he the, end up there then? Because since the Second World War, the French have been depositing, I'm going to use this, their top people in all the international jobs, right? So you have okay. Camdessou, you have Strauss-Kahn in the IMF. Mm. The World Bank, you have now, Lagarde. of course, Lagarde. You have Trichet. So basically, the, the Elysee in France, mm -hmm. they were creating functionaires. Those functionaires have been unbelievably successful at getting to the top of all the big organizations. So the IMF, the World Bank, the yeah. European Commission, Jacques Delors, another good example, the European Central Bank, yada, yada, yada. So it was like a rite of passage. Yeah. If you became governor of the Bank of France, which Trichet was, which was a Mickey Mouse job because they had no real currency because they were just following Germany. So Germans <laughs> had them by the nads, right? Yeah. Okay, so it was a Mickey Mouse, but lots of pomp and ceremony and all that carry on. He then ends up head of the European Central Bank. The only lesson 
from the Great Depression is that you print money when the shit hits the fan. Right? That's right. the lesson. Yeah. Right? What happened when the shit hits the fan in Europe? Ourselves, fucking the Greeks, la la la. He raised interest rates. He did the opposite. Yeah. And that created a massive panic. So Draghi comes in and says, I hear. Right? right? <laughs> he comes in and what he first says, Draghi says, he faces down the city of London. Yeah. People are speculating against the euro. And he says, I will do whatever it takes. What basically there's a thing in economics, which is you never bet against the Fed. So you never bet against the central bank. Yeah. Because the central bank prints the shit. Yeah, it yeah, always yeah. has more yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, right? that makes perfect sense. So yeah. Draghi said to these guys, you want to short the euro? Go ahead. Make my day. Okay. He's, he's getting all De, getting all De Niro. He's getting all De Niro. Capisce? He's Italian. You want to do it? Do it. Okay. And he basically said to the, the market, the great football chant, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Okay. So, Mario, this is economics as you will never hear discussed, right? But Mario Draghi is an interesting man. Yeah. And running in Italy is an interesting job. Tough job, it's a very, very tough job, yeah. And because there's, there's all sorts of factions, and there's well, you have you have the Northern League, yeah, Salvini's crowd, and then of course, you've Jeppe Grillo's crowd, the 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 what they call what do they call themselves five star, the five star, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're all engineering to fill the void, which is where the Christian Democrats disappeared, and of course, Forza Italia, yeah, Berlusconi's <laughs> outfit, and all the while, you have endemic racism against Italy in the German press, saying that it's a basket case and it's useless. Oh, right, and la, la, okay. La. So they've got to deal, you know, the Italians got to deal with, with a lot. Does this spell the end for London? Or It's a big deal for London. It's not the what, end of London. What, what can they do to kind of pull all that business very back, little, as it were? Very little, because what, what London managed to do, right, and this is where the Brexiteers, amazingly because so many finance people were in Brexit, so many lead financiers, yeah. Backed Brexit, right? Yeah. What they didn't seem to realise is that they only had the EU's permission to act as a clearinghouse for Euro trades. They only had the EU's permission to act as a fund management base for European pensions. Once that permission goes, all that money disappears. So basically what the Brits were doing was the Brits had basically said, look, we're the best, and they were, we're the best finance, we're the best fund management, etc. Yeah. Give us all your pension money, We'll manage it and we'll take a fee, 1.5%, 2%. It's a lot. Mm. When it comes to the pensions of Europe, it's a huge amount. Sure, sure. And we'll clear all your trades. And you know what? You should float your companies in London. Why? Because we're more liquid. We've met a professional, all this sort of stuff, right? Right. If you stop that, if you say, well, we're not part of the gang anymore, yeah. then the gang says, okay, well, why don't we use the Dutch? Why don't we use Frankfurt? Why don't we use Paris? Why don't we use Dublin? Yeah. And all this business is fracturing now. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Dublin because the Dublin Stock Exchange also had a bounce in the last month. The Mickey Mouse Stock Exchange. But still in all, like, there is a bounce from there is, trading uh, moving from London. There is, there is definitely. So, so I mean, basically what, the, what has happened is the smart money has gone to Amsterdam. Mm. And if you look at Holland, the big banks, you know, they, they'd... They've huge financial organizations, huge financial institutions. And remember years ago when I was when I was in that game, going to New Amsterdam, which is a new town they've built mm. where the old port was. And it's all finance, you know? And they have they've incredibly interesting cooperative banks, they have merchant banks, they have investment banks, all that sort of stuff. So what has happened is the Brexit penalty that's been paid 
is going to impact profoundly on the city of London. Profoundly. Yeah. This is before we talk about COVID. Is that job and, losses and... Yeah, it's just that... that an income tax for, for the income government. Income tax. Yeah. Like, finance is ephemeral. It's mercurial. Mm. It's impossible to put your finger on. And it moves really quickly. Yeah. Remember we've always said that money follows the path, like water, of least resistance. Yes, yeah, yeah. So if you put any resistance up to money, it will disappear. It'll follow a different path. Mm. And clearly Brexit is resistance because you can't get passported. To be passported means you can't do business in mm. Europe because you're British, right? Your regulations are different. Your rules are different. Your central bank doesn't have any competence anymore over European trades. So it, I think they're, they're in trouble. And the other thing is in the history of money, no less than we were talking about zero, is it always innovates. We're going to talk about Bitcoin in a minute. It's an innovation. Yeah. It always mutates. It's like a new variant. The new variant is Brexit. So the money mutates in response to that, yeah. right? Yeah. And the Dutch, as they did in 1606, are benefiting enormously. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mark, the other story that really grabbed my eye this week was Elon Musk going out and buying $1.5 billion on Bitcoin. Yeah. Which confirms the rumour that Tesla is Bitcoin with wheels. <laughs> but I think but, I've had it. But why is he doing that Would now? Would you like to be a shareholder of Tesla? You yeah. buy shares in a car and your man goes and spends it on a crypto. Now, think yeah. about it. Like you're, you know, fascinating stuff. I mean, Elon Musk has turned into a massive can-do-no-wrong hero for millennials and younger. There's yeah. no doubt of that, right? That's because he smoked a joint on Joe Rogan's show. Jeez, you'd have to smoke a joint on Joe Rogan's show. <laughs> yeah, you would. Yeah. I don't understand this, but you're really clever. <laughs> but, yeah, he smoked a joint. But the point is, and he's been a disruptor, and he's California, and all that carry on, right? Yeah. And he did originally start PayPal. So, like, he's a, he is a disruptive character. Mm. That's what he does, right? Question, the reason this week's important, right? One and a half billion, okay, on Bitcoin. Yeah. So suddenly you're thinking, wow. Now, you know what he really did? The most interesting thing is he did, he made Tesla's affordable to people with Bitcoin. 
What do you mean? Right. Remember Henry Ford's obsession was, I'm going to make a car yeah. that is so cheap that my workers can buy it. Yeah. That was the Henry, Henry yeah. Ford yeah, model, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. The democratization of car, right? He has said, I'm going to build a car that only people who own Bitcoin can afford. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. No, but if we actually look at we look at things. So also Bank of New York Mellon, oldest bank in the United States, said they are going to accept Bitcoin. Oh. Right. So it's a big thing. Yeah. Musk said you can buy Teslas with Bitcoin. Right. MasterCard has said we're going to look at clearing with Bitcoin. So suddenly so this week has been, into, Yeah, it's coming into the mainstream then. Well, it seems to be coming into the mainstream. Now the interesting remember we, we talked about our, our elephant and our three blind men. Yes. Right? You've got to see the totality of this because nothing divides people in economics and finance more than Bitcoin, John. Right. Yeah. For its supporters, Bitcoin is digital gold. And it's the beginning of a process of revolution that will change the world. And what they're saying is Bitcoin is digital gold, and the more central banks print money, the more your Mario Draghi's, when we were talking about him, yeah. print money, the more your Bernanke's print money, the more your Janet Yellen's print money, there's going to be an inflation risk in the dollar, in normal paper currencies, and Bitcoin is a hedge against that. Right. So that's what supporters say. Yeah. The detractors, and this is why I say it's, it's like Marmite, you either love it or you hate it. The detractors say... It's nothing but a digital tulip. Forget your digital gold. It's a digital tulip. So basically what it is, Going back to it's the, the tulip. Back to our friends, the Dutch. Yeah. Okay. It's the tulip mania in currency form, right? Right. So so the, the people who support Bitcoin say, hold on a second. This is a hedge against inflation. And we think inflation is going to come down because of all the money printing, number one. Number two, we believe that it'll migrate from a speculative asset, which it is now, into a money Right? Yeah. And number three, get with the program, guys. We're in a disruptive age. And you mightn't like it, boomers. Yeah. Right? But shit's going down. Yeah. Okay? That's really it. That's what they're saying. So if you see what happened, you know, the bit was basically saying we are in a fourth industrial revolution kicked off by the emergence of the internet. Yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. Everything's up for grabs. So too is money. Yeah. And then there's an also a sort of an anti-establishment side but, of the Bitcoiners. The sort of this, they're particularly in the libertarian side. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. They believe it's a revolution against the establishment, that the establishment rules us because they control our currency, which is very true. Mm-hmm. Remember Nathan Rothschild's great expression? I care not for the man who controls the military. Give me the man who controls the money yeah. and I control the country. Yeah. Okay, because he was saying, I don't care about the army. Yeah. Give me the dude who prints the stuff, right? So... Another part of the Bitcoin story is this millennial anger at the establishment, right? That they're part of a revolutionary yeah. movement. So you, you throw those all into the mix and you've got something fascinating. Then when someone like Elon Musk says, I will not only invest in this, but my cars, which are the shit at the moment in terms of cars, okay? Yeah. Says the man who doesn't even have a car, right? <laughs> which is ridiculous. Gnarly drive. But you know what I mean? They are all part of this movement. That's the positive side. Right. The negative side is the old school finance. We say this is nothing more than a speculative mania. Mm. It can't be a money because it doesn't hold its own value, let alone anything else. So it jumps around the place. And the sort of crazy increases we've seen over the last four or five months are indicative of that this is a speculative mania and you will lose a lot of money by getting involved in it. And of course, 
the establishment always dislike disruption. Yeah. And they dislike change, right? Yeah. So my view is, go back to our blind men and the elephant. Nobody's seen the big picture because nobody can. So the establishment are just seeing the trunk, are seeing the, you know, you know what, Johnny yeah. boy, okay? <laughs> and the, the, the Bitcoiners are only seeing the ear. So everybody is kind of blind yeah. because nobody really knows what's going to happen. But, you know, you get these, you know, Lindsay Lohan, who's apparently some star. You know, uh, yes, I do know Lindsay In America, yeah, right. Yeah. And she's endorsing it. And, but, so, and people are saying, well, like, if she's endorsing it, there's some people saying, well, that must be right. And then a lot of the traditional people pay are Pay more attention to somebody like Elon Musk yeah. rather than Lindsay Lohan. But, no, to go back to the question again of why now, was it, you know, when you're talking about MasterCard and Mellon Bank and all this, accepting Bitcoin, was that the prompt for Elon Musk or was it no, vice I, versa? I think, I think, like, why now? I, I don't know. I mean, I always have this question that I ask myself when it comes to technology, anything, something new appears. Yeah. I always say, what problem is it solving? Yeah. So, for example, what problem is Bitcoin solving? Yeah. Is there a problem with money in terms of exchange? Not really. Yeah. This is, is like the, the, your man's theory of jobs to be done. You know, what job does this do? Yeah. So is it a speculative asset that in a portfolio might be a part of it? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Is it a reaction to an implicit fear of hyperinflation? You could argue yes. You know, you could argue yes that what's happening now with respect to printing of money. Remember I, I said the other the other day that one dollar in every five that has ever been printed has been printed in the last 12 yes. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mad, yeah. Right? So is it a hedge? True, you know, should you ignore it? Not at all. And I think always when the establishment comes down against something, you might say, well, there's something interesting yeah, yeah. going on here. However, there is the Eric Lonergan fear that you get into something like this at $48,000. It's a long way down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or you take the view, you know what? This is part of a revolution. It's a revolution against established money. Now, what I, about all the other bitcoins? Ethereum, Litecoin, all these. Yeah. They're all part of the, the, of the of the same game. In fact, Bitcoin, you can argue, is the least impressive of all the coins because at the end of the day, if they're going to be money, they mm. will have to be exchanged. Yeah. And Bitcoin is still very, very clunky. It takes a long time, all that sort of stuff. And it's still very much, you know, crims and drug dealers. Yeah, and, and Tesla drivers. And Tesla drivers, exactly, which you can put in the same sort of general thing. But again, you know, my obsession with history yes. is that all new technologies are unbelievably volatile in the beginning in order to reach stability. And all revolutions and innovations have their detractors and their heroes and their fans. And Bitcoin seems to me to be entirely the the same. It's just, if you imagine when the Lydians first, there was a river called the Pactolus River in central Anatolia. Do you know this, John? Yes, I, I, I do. you know river, what? I actually do. The Pactolus River, right, was a source of gold for the Lydians. And the Lydians mined it. This is like 700 BC. Mm. And they started to actually use it. And amazingly, lots of people said, this is an amazing technology, this money. We can organize our world around this. And then the Greeks started to use it, and the Greeks started to use silver, okay? Yeah. And the Greeks put these trading posts all around the Aegean using silver. This is a revolution, right? And the Romans started using it, 
and then we, we were talking about our friends, the Arabs, etc. Even in Sicily, in Norman Sicily, the coin was so unbelievably significant. Why? Because on one side of the coin, they had Arabic numerals. And on the other side of the coin, they had Roman numerals. What they were saying wow. is, really? anyone can live here. So the coin is a significant yeah. signifier of everything. My own sense with respect to Bitcoin is that it will continue and crypto will continue to be part of the financial worldview. And the reason is the following. You cannot stop it. People want to have alternatives. If there is a bout of inflation, if there is anything that resembles hyperinflation, then all the Bitcoiners will be completely vindicated because they will have something that is a hedge against inflation. This is the digital gold idea that it always has its value, right? So the smart smart investor would should have a little bit of Bitcoin. That's yeah, but it's it. a little bit at what price? The price is the most important thing. Mm, you know, everyone okay, says, yep. Jay, it'd be great to have bought it in 20 quid. When we were talking to our friend, Pete McCormick, it was at Back 20 quid. August, I know, yeah. <laughs> gobshites, didn't go for it. But, you know, it's all to do, the sm- smart investment is always about price. Yeah. If you buy something expensive, you're condemned to sell it cheaply, right? So you have to think that a lot of things have to go right for Bitcoin to continue this upward ascent. Yeah. And things going right for Bitcoin are things going wrong for the world. So Bitcoin mm, is yeah. a hedge against Armageddon. Think about it, right? Yeah. And the Armageddon that Bitcoin would be the solution to would be a collapse in the value of the dollar. Well, basically, the dollar would become the American peso, right? Can imagine the American peso. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, like yeah. the Mexican peso, the Argentinian peso, or yeah. the real in Brazil. So against that background... You have to have. You have to be gambling that the world is going to hit some extraordinary volatility, and a massive recession, and hyperinflation, and the, ni- the late nineteen twenties all over again. What has Elon Musk seen? Did he see something from space you, man, that, you, that you we won't, didn't? You won't be selling many cars in the Armageddon, my friend. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, but maybe he's hedged it. Maybe he's thinking Tesla and electric cars are a function, are dependent on a massive increase in consumer ability to pay. Yeah. So that's a bet on a rosy future. Remember we talked about hedging? Yeah, yeah. Bitcoin is a bet in Armageddon. Elon is quids in either way. Now, why I have you there again. Why not use the time when you're locked up to learn economics? Join me on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Let's learn economics together. We have the economics course. Macroeconomics has never been as essential to understand. We have the Ask Mac tutorials every other week. We have Q&A. We've got the reading list. And more importantly, you become part of the community. If you have a question, if you have something that's going on, you want to ask me, join me on Patreon email in i will answer your question but more importantly it's ad free just you and me and your man across the way hey patreon.com forward slash dave mcwilliams and let's figure out the world together